I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moore! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to a new season of the 42 Rugby Weekly. I hope your summer, however dystopian, was a blast. If you're back in school, hopefully the new year has started well for you. If you're about to head back to college or indeed about to head along in person for the first time, maybe you have a real life freshers week coming up. Make the most of it. And if you're back in the office or your place of work or just still ploughing away generally, I hope you're happy and well. I hope as well that we can once more become a fixture in your Thursday plans because rugby with fans is back. We'll look ahead to the new men's season and the inaugural URC this day next week. But today we're going to get stuck into some of the recent goings on in the women's game in Ireland. And let's be honest, it has been a troubling few days on the back of what was a great Interpro series. And joining me to discuss it all are the two OGs, Murray Kinsella of the 42 and former Ireland international Bernard Jackman. Murray, people who don't have the fortune to know you as well as I do may not be aware of the extent to which you go off-grid when you take some well-earned time off. So when I'm asking you, how was your summer? What did you get up to? This is the first time I'll actually be hearing these answers. Uh, how much rugby were you able to squeeze past your wife, Jen, for example, over the last few weeks? Uh, a few bits of the rugby championship, Bledisloe Cup. Um, watching that obviously out of interest always interesting but did definitely get away from it at all um, I was over in Spain for my version of a freshers week I suppose and was in Donegal some beautiful scenery swimming in the sea and then finish up with a little visit to Galway last week which was unbelievable I, I hadn't been there for a few years I'd forgotten how much crack it was how much life the city has unreal food pints are just incredible if you like your Guinness um, so I'm very well refreshed and very excited to get stuck back into it all, Gav. Back on the horse birch, which is my pathetic way of saging to your own summer activities. Uh, tell us about your recent investment. How are you getting on? No, look at it. Uh, I'm involved in a, in a racing syndicate with a friend of mine um, in the Jessica Harrington train. So I was in Galway, Ballinrobe. Um, where else was I? I was, uh, I think it was in Ross Common. So we, um, but we got a we got a win anyway. Uh, we got a win. Exit pole is the name of the horse, and uh, yeah, it was a great great excitement. And I think we're going to Ross Common again Monday week. So um, the pro for URC starting back, but also um, a bit of uh, national hunt racing as well to to keep me occupied. So all good, great fun, great fun. Hard to get a winner, and delighted to get one. Never a dull moment. Your summer generally has been okay, has it? Yeah, it's been good. It's been good. Uh, Bechtel are back, coaching there. Um, loving it, yeah. Uh, league starts on Saturday. So, and, um, yeah, it's just great to see, see, see the lads being able to play. We Like, at certain times during COVID, we were allowed to train um, in pods of, of 15, um, but we couldn't play games. And, uh, yeah, while we still don't have dressing rooms or showers, just being able to play some games um, has, been, has been brilliant. You know? Have you been, Gav? We never ask you. To be honest, absolutely great, but nothing has changed for me in the last few weeks. I've just been working away. I took a break earlier in the summer when you hung me out to dry on a previous pod where I was down on the piss in Kerry for a week or so. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so nothing to really write home about over the last few weeks. Just been keeping the head down, plowing away. I was in Leeds for Katie Taylor's fight recently, which was good. First time getting out of the country in 18 months to two years, I guess. And... 
Look, part of me wishes she was fighting in New York or somewhere. I kind of said, like, Jesus, could you not have gone to... <laughs> Leeds yeah. is a beautiful town. Rugby league town now, but beautiful town. We're in Headingley, actually, which was the, the stadium for the fight. So, yeah. Good thanks, Mer. Come here, as I said at the top. Good to hear. We'll focus on the women's stuff this week, and we'll get into, like, the wider issues and some of the off-the-field goings-on over recent days in a while. But we should start with the game uh, and that defeat to Spain, which... On the face of it, and I think however you spin it, was just disastrous and, and shocking, really, uh, performance-wise and in terms of probably our expectations of a result as Ireland looked to qualify for the Rugby World Cup. So, starting with yourself, Murray, where exactly did it go wrong? How was it so bad, to your mind? Quite a few areas they could have picked out in the review and will have picked out. Um, three that stood out to me, probably the discipline. They conceded 15 penalties, and they definitely would argue with some of those decisions and, and the refereeing, but... That's a huge number in a big test match. It was really costly. A lot of them were in attack when they were in good positions, stuff around the breakdown, uh, getting isolated ball carriers a number of times. You saw that where maybe just a little bit of cohesion and organization wasn't there. They obviously had handling errors, I think five or six of them in the end. There was a rustiness given the lack of, of game time and the lineout was a disaster really. They lost seven on their own throw. I think three crooked throws as well as Spain obviously defending very well to their credit. They did really make life difficult for Ireland there and, and at the scrum also. But the big one that stood out to me, and I went back through it last night just to, to get the stats on it. Ireland had 11 visits into Spain's 22 and they scored obviously just once. Like that's disastrous return on an unbelievable amount of strong position and good position. Again, a number of those were probably a little bit unlucky. They had a five meter mall chance where the, the penalty decision went against them, could have gone completely the other way. But they had a number of opportunities, obviously, to potentially kick points. I think once in particular underneath the posts where they opted to tap against 14 players, maybe a chance to scrum against 14 players with Spain having one in the bin and use that numerical advantage and they got held up. But there are a whole litany of their own errors playing into that as well. 11 visits is is huge number and you've got to get return on that. It's a game they should have had wrapped up by halftime if we're being realistic about it. Even beyond the the bits where they were camped five metres out, they had a chance down the left-hand side where they had a three on, on two, three on one maybe even, and, and the ball didn't go early enough into Baven Parsons' hands. We saw what she could do. Um, and also we saw what Amy Lee Murphy-Crow can do whenever she got on the ball, but that probably didn't happen enough. And as they... Saw those opportunities slip. I do think in the second half there was that element of panic and stress caused by this not perfectly going their way, not closing out the game. And even though Spain, like again, I probably overrated their performance watching it first time, haven't had reviewed it. You know, they made a lot of errors, gave Ireland a lot of opportunities, but they just managed to cling in there and they got that chance. They quick tapped from another really poor Ireland penalty and Ireland were slow to react having probably been lucky to avoid a penalty try just before that. So, yeah, it was, as you say, a disastrous start to this competition and leaves them with a real uphill battle now. Italy to come on Sunday, that's going to be a really difficult fixture given how impressive they were against Scotland in a six-try win. So, tough times for, for Ireland at the moment. Certainly was. And Bernard, it's only fair, obviously, to put the spotlight on some of the players. And as Murray has discussed there, a litany of unforced errors, people not really doing their jobs within this within the context of this match uh, at the same time this team has had these qualifiers in their line of sight for 
months. I know, in fairness, there was no concrete date for a long time, but they have actually been working towards it collectively for months. So on the coaching side of things as well, questions to be asked. And I suppose the first one is, where did it go wrong from that point of view, from Adam Griggs's point of view? Well, look, the players looked undercooked. Um, and I think we'd have to ask, was it wise to pull them out of the Interpros? Could they have not have played an Interpro series? Um, and then, you know, go to go to that World Cup qualifier. Um, I think selection, two new caps for a, a big game. Did they underestimate Spain? Um, still not. Still, we haven't found a 10. I think we've used, you know, it weren't double figures. Uh, I, uh, potentially 11 or 12 different different 10s um, since, um, since Adam Griggs came in, which is... Um, which is worrying, um, and I, I just yeah, this team looked completely undercooked. Um, so I, I think that I don't know what the, like the, in fairness they've been putting in a huge amount of time in camp, um, but that kind of collective understanding of how they want to attack, um, that accuracy just wasn't there, and it was a, a very very tepid performance. And we need to call it as it, as it was. It was a really really poor performance, and. You know the question I suppose you asked me was you know around coaching. I think that, yeah, I think the mistakes be made. Now, in fairness, I would go deeper as well in terms of, and I, you know, I believe that the only way Ireland can be have success, um, sustainable success at women's level is is a strong domestic game. It's not a professional game. We need to have schools, clubs. Uh, vibrant, um, producing more players. And if you look at the Interpros, I thought it was brilliant and fair play to T, um, Tina G for for uh, televising it. Uh, but the age profile of, of a lot of teams was, was quite high. So um, I would be worried that there's not this next generation coming through. And, and when you look at the club game um, and how, how probably dominant, dominated it is by a couple of clubs um, and how in certain certain provinces actually senior clubs have disappeared that's the fear for me and, and that affects the the top end you know quite quickly so the top end what we see against spain is is the um is the roof on the on the house you know um and the coaches have a, have a role to play in terms of you know making sure that they give those players a good game plan the skill set is 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 adequate etc which it wasn't the skill set was very poor but if there's not a, an increase or um, yeah, a vibrant level underneath where those players come from, I think it's going to be very difficult. And I think that's been, I mean, you know, there hasn't been great strides made in Irish women's rugby. I, I think we're gone, we're gone back. Um, you know, we went from third in a World Cup to hosting a World Cup to, to now, you know, f- crossing our fingers and hope we qualify for one. Um, and we probably got away with the fact that, okay, when we play France and England, it gets exposed. Uh, but because we've been able to beat poor Scotland teams, poor Welsh teams, and an Italian team, in fairness, who are capable, um, but we've been able to beat them, uh, we've kind of we felt okay about it. And and for certain, I, I certainly think the RFU felt okay about it. And they just buried their heads and hope, you know, it'll all go away until the next time we have to play England or France. And there'll be a bit of a backlash, and the whole professionalism will will come up again, and they'll brush that off because they'll say there's not the, enough money for it. And it just goes from year to year with it, with not really understanding that there's a problem, and um, there is a big problem, and and uh, yeah, I I just think that I, I think that the the dressing room incident, you know, uh, this week is a is a is a shambolic um, uh, example of of the I suppose the operational side of things, but 
it's it's the core of it is that there's not enough time and forget about these hashtags and press campaigns and PR stunts they are they, they might get two or three percent of people into a club um, or, or or playing rugby or into a stadium but the reality is um, and as I said this I said this in February when when uh, um, when uh, the RFU disagreed with me about it but like you know Mary Jackman and Tullo wants to play rugby she's not going to go into the RFU website and read its strategic plan okay that, 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 the amount of people who will do that they're going to go out to Tuller Rugby Club they're going to look over the fence and to see um, some some girls or women training you know and it's a safe environment and there's a competition structure and there's good feedback from the, the parents and the players they, they'll they join That that's it so it's 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 in the communities it's, it's these hashtags uh, it, um, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with them but that can't be your way of promoting uh, women's rugby that can't be your way of governing um, and and trying to create a vibrant club game is just a PR campaign, in, in my opinion. There has to be there has to be more than that. And and it seems as if the ten, you know they've extended the the All Ireland League. They've added two teams by invitation. Obviously, you know COVID is a brilliant excuse. But let's be honest, people have got on with their lives and jobs in COVID. Okay, they found ways to to continue to try and evolve and, and get better. And you know it seems as if that the clubs, you know, have asked for engagement, asked for representation on the RFU committee, um, which the IRFU, the AIA clubs don't have any representation on the RFU committee. And, you know, if, if, if what's out there is, is correct, there's been no response for, for 10 or 11 months, um, you know, which is, which is worrying, you know, uh, worrying about where their, the real, where their hunger is to, to make it better. So look at this, hopefully this is, it's a horrendous to have to, maybe miss out in a World Cup or, you know, have to lose to Spain to reach rock bottom. And horrendous that, you know, those Connacht players had to had to change where they did. Um, but if, if it's the point where we said we have reached rock bottom and change happens, well, then it'll be worth it um, in, in a sadistic way. But if it if it isn't if if change doesn't happen this is something that's okay they won't be getting changed beside rats again but i don't see any real uh, huge development of uh, uh, in terms of participation in terms of vibrancy in the in the women's game because sevens is only for a certain amount um of 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 players and you know and 15s is probably where we've the most likely chance of of having some success and, and competing uh, but also in terms of making it more open to to uh, to the masses, and we seem to have taken our eye off that, uh, in my in my opinion. And um, we're trying to basically chase two two carrots when underneath there's not enough to to do one well. Murray, come in there. Yeah, there's so much in that. Um, firstly, on the the immediate task at hand for the national team, I think missing out on a World Cup would be really damaging. Birch is talking about a young player looking over the fence and seeing local players getting on and enjoying the rugby. It's really important to have an aspirational element to that as well, where you're looking at successful or even mildly successful teams and you want to be part of that. And we've had some of that recently, like young players like Baven Parsons, Dorothy Wall, they're like kind of role models. We've discussed that before. Being there at a World Cup is absolutely pivotal. And Ireland have been part of, what the previous seven they missed the first one all the way back in 1991 but they've been there since they hosted the most recent one obviously it didn't go well but to drop away from that would be really damaging they still have obviously a a chance of doing this even in this tournament if they finish second they get another qualification repetage tournament against 
who was it, Samoa, Colombia, and an Asian team, which they'd expect to win. But they even have a, a job in their hands to get that second place because Italy are going to be really tough, as we said, this weekend. And then underneath that, absolutely, like it was so dispiriting um, to just see another episode of, I suppose, scandal, disgrace, another fiasco in Irish women's rugby. It seems that it just lurches from one to the other, all the way back to what, 2012, the national team traveling to Poe over what, 17 or 18 hours was it at the time. And and they got a couple of hours keeping their hotel before they, they played a match and, and lost. And you go from that to advertising a part-time head coach role when everyone else is moving in the opposite direction. There's a host of, of different incidents there that you can look at and highlight and say, there's just not enough care of duty there from, from the authorities. There are a few IRFU in, in this case. So yeah, it is definitely in a frustrating position. And even the national team, they have gone backwards when, when others have accelerated and moved on to professionalism without even that being the answer here. Um, it is worrying to see Ireland being left behind by those teams. And absolutely, the vibrancy of the club game is is really important. And that's another issue that's been simmering away underneath. Like So much goes on in Irish women's rugby that we don't hear about probably don't hear about enough um, and the club's game is, is part of that like, there's been frustration that we've mentioned before from the clubs about how the whole scene is organized and governed and how they don't have enough of a decision making say in, in everything that happens and that in fact they're ignored at times by the RFU they feel so it really isn't in a healthy state and yeah they may get into a world cup but does that paper over the cracks in a way like this does feel like a bit of a turning point and it's really been interesting to read and listen and ponder the comparisons with the FAI and, and the Irish um, women's football team and their kind of stand in Liberty Hall in 2017 when enough had been enough and how male players have probably helped that process that they're going through now um, actually Mary Hannigan had a brilliant piece in the Irish Times today saying that now they got to get those results on the pitch after the, the progress off it but it's it's hard not to see that this is a point where people say enough is enough. Um, and then there's probably a bit more outspokenness. Even the Connacht players kind of belatedly, I suppose, making a statement and putting their voice out there was really welcome because that's the kind of stuff that does force a bit of change that makes people a lot more uncomfortable. Um, because it's easy for the RFU to dismiss us and tell us we're talking shite on a podcast. But when players themselves and, and fans themselves are really making their voices heard, that makes a big difference. I, I think we have to... As, as as pundits or, or people who are passionate about it, we have to probably take some a stronger role too. Um, I think it's very hard for for a player, um, and I admire them massively for for the ones who have have spoke out. But I just think it's very hard for them, given that there's the fear of their career, um, and that's uh, you know that, that's a it's a, it takes a very strong um, person to come out and criticise the. The, the governing body so I, I think it's 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 basically our us who who are close close ish to it um uh to to be strong on it and for the fans um to to row in behind it and the people in the clubs I mean the reality is I know that there's a you know there's a the, the perception from the clubs is that there's a poor relationship but they still do provide the players you know and the players will always go to the union because that's where you know, to play for your country is the is the ultimate honor. But um, you can't abuse that for for the longer you, the more you abuse that right, um, 
you know, the more disenfranchised people get. And yeah, I, I, I think that it's been coming down the track. And as I said, you know, sometimes you get away with it, you get a result, and 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 it, it's, you know, you beat Fran- you beat Spain, you know, narrowly, and and you qualify, and you know, there's not a spotlight on it. But if you go back to, you know, the the strategic plan, you know, and the performance measurables that that our, the RFU have said they're they're chasing and how they want to be judged on. I mean, you know, I'm going to read them here. World Cup qualification 2021 and top six finish. We still may qualify. I wouldn't say, you know, we're odds on to be top six finish, but that's that's still to be achieved. One women, six nations, no. Qualification for 2020 Olympic sevens, no. Qualification for 2027's Rugby World Cup, no. Win two sevens World Series tournaments, no. Consistent top six finishes World Seven Series, no. Consistent top two finishes Rugby Europe under 18s, No. So like this, and I know that David Nusifor came out and said when he was asked in his last um, briefing about the, the KPIs, and he said, "Look, they don't really hold much uh, value on those." But again, as 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 a rugby person, you know, if that's what the Bible is, and that's what they're chasing, and that's what they're going to measure themselves against, I mean, we're miles off. We're like we're we're, we're miles off any of them. And again, as I said, it's very much spread over sevens and and fifteens, and on both counts were. We're nowhere near us, and it's not just Adam Griggs. Uh, it's it's effectively the the whole game um, needs a, a major revamp, but not a look at this um, investigation or tribunals and stuff like that's sometimes that's kicking the touch, you know, um, and it'll all die down. Like realistically, you know, are they going to implement what they said they're going to do? Um, and is that the right policy? And I, I, like I'm not an expert on it, I, you know. There's people in the club game, um, uh, in the domestic game, who know more about it than I do. But like not to be engaging with them in a very meaningful, you know, uh, way. I, I find it hard to understand how people who aren't involved in that know the best way forward and think they can do it without bringing people with them. Um, just for me, it doesn't make sense. And and you know, I, I think that. I think that it needs to be it needs to be a crisis point, which I think we've reached, um, and a, and a solution needs to come from this. Mur, the media certainly has a role in this, as do fans, as Bernard says, and as you were saying a moment ago, male players, big part of this, a big part to play in this, need to hear more from them. And I thought it was good that Gary Ringrose, Paul Boyle were asked about it and spoke about it um, in fairly certain terms yesterday at the launch of the URC don't wait to be asked about it though you know this is your sport like show some interest in the health of it and I admittedly didn't hear uh, Johnny Sexton's interview and off the ball I saw a quote from it where he said like I hope when my daughters are playing or if my daughters are playing rugby that they get treated the same way I did that's not really good enough to be totally honest and like I, I know where he's coming from but forget about your daughters like there are players playing rugby women girls right now and if you want it to be different down the line, then you should want to be, it to be different now. At the same time then, right? Well, male players absolutely do have a role to play in this. And the direct comparison with the women's soccer team is fairly pertinent here as well, because the likes of Seamus Coleman were heavily involved in, say, the women's national team getting equal match fees and so on recently. And as difficult as it is for say somebody like Kira Griffin or a leader in that team to actually speak out against the IRFU we understand the difficulty of that nothing worth having is easily gotten really and there is a bit of a bigger picture the idea that somebody who speaks out against the IRFU is going to become an, a sacrificial lamb I think is a little bit of a fallacy I could be totally wrong now but if you spoke out 
it's not speaking out against him so much, but if you spoke in... Well, okay, Gav, Gav. Sorry, Bert, yeah. Sorry, Gav. I mean, yeah. You know, just, just I want to pull you up on that. I mean, if they try and control the message of people who don't work for them, or, um, you know, how how likely is it that they won't be unimpressed with somebody who's who's basically a, a volunteer or, um, you know, who's... who's an, uh, yeah, a volunteer or a player who plays for them. I, I think it's very hard for a, a, a player to speak out. I think it is very mm-hmm. hard. Male player. No, no, but, but like, if, if female player. Could, could I just say though, Murray, mm-hmm. like for, I, I completely agree with Bernard, they would be unimpressed. They, there'd be a bollocking dished out almost certainly, but in terms of careers being at stake, I think when you have massive public support behind you, that changes things. And we've seen that this week with the constant apologies and the so-called investigation and so on. Now, of course, some of that is lip service or kicking it to touch as Birch says, but if somebody speaks out and says, listen, this some of these some of this crowd needs to kick up the hole or whatever like or speaks out in favor of the health of their sport people will ruin behind them and it's a dangerous thing then to ostracize them or whatever which has been suggested i don't see that personally as being a possibility yeah it's it, it is it is a tough personal thing for people and like louise lawless did some brilliant reporting on it this week about how players had been basically told to shut up and, and not do interviews and speak about it um and like from my experience that is a Maybe not to that overbearing degree, but you speak to female players all the time and they've got issues or they've, they kind of hint at, allude to things, but don't quite go there and tell you the full story and certainly not on the record in, in any sense. So I think there's a lot more stories that we don't know about in behind the scenes about players feeling like they were maybe marginalized from squads uh, for different reasons. I think there's there's plenty of stuff like that that may come to light if, if people do start speaking a little bit more. From the men's point of view, like I don't think there's any danger in them supporting or speaking in support of of women's rugby. Like they're really strong positions. Some of the players in particular, like Johnny Sexton, is a great example. Like without players like that, you don't have a, a team. They're the people who drive professional rugby in in the con in the country, um, and they're the ones who have a really powerful voice. Absolutely, you're you're bang on, Birch. Like it's really important that the media stays on top of this, but. Players are who people really listen to and really respect as well, and, and they can have a, a, a big say in it. So, yeah, it, it, it's great, Gav, that players, a couple asked this week, answered honestly and showed their support. Um, but they probably need to be part of the process as well. And from the from the female point of view, I can totally understand the, the personal difficulty of it and fearing for your place on a team. But you're giving so much to a cause that you're not getting paid for your driving around the country you're going to training sessions you're sacrificing you're taking annual leave to to go and play for your country and it just gets to a breaking point that Birch has kind of mentioned there and when it when is enough enough like yeah just sorry to clarify Gav I, I took you up wrong um I I, I meant it was harder for a, a, a women's player in the group to come out I I, I don't see there being repercussions uh, fatal repercussions for a man a men's player who who came out to support them? Uh, I, I, yeah, I just you know, I think they have enough credibility and standing. You know. I'm talking about a female player. Okay. Like Liberty Hall is a great example. Of- yeah, I, I think it's hard. I think it's hard. No, I, I completely yeah. acknowledge it's hard. I completely acknowledge it's hard. And there is obviously a chance that yes, you could be pushed aside or excluded from squads. But think about how that looks optically, Birch, and think about how obsessed the RFU are with optics. Like it's kind of square peg and round hole territory for them if you exclude a player in 
this type of climate socially or sociologically having spoken out against you and like there's ways of speaking out again like we're not talking about an employer employee relationship in most cases here either you know we're talking about a governing body that could be doing better yeah. as we've been discussing for half an hour yeah like i, I look at i i don't i'm sure there's there's grumbling and and and, and valid um reasons of unhappiness among amongst a national team right but uh, i still probably think that it probably hasn't reached a bad enough point for them in terms of facilities they've good facilities in abbottstown kit travel medical etc i'd say a lot of that stuff is actually adequate to be honest um uh, again and then it's very hard for one of those players who who've had better treatment over the last five years than their predecessors for example um to probably criticize internally but the reality is you know, when you're a player, you don't understand the the importance of governance at a lower level. You don't understand the importance of coach education at a lower level. Like, it's very hard. I mean, like, a lot of players are so immersed in trying to be the best possible version of themselves as a player. They actually don't want to know about a lot of the, the politics uh, behind it. So, you know, from that point of view, I think it's probably not like the FAI where... You know they had to get changed in the airport and give back tracksuits. I hope I I actually I hope to God it's not like that. Uh, and if it is, I think they should you know they should be um, making that known. I, d- I doubt it is to be honest. But my big criticism is, is what happened below that. What happened you know in in Donnybrook? What's what's happening you know uh, at lower levels? That's where I think you know real change needs to happen. Um, and until that change happens. You know, you might have a brilliant coach who can get the absolute maximum out of a group of players, or you might have another, you know, another Baven Parsons or Dirty Wall who help you, you know, beat Italy, Scotland, Wales. But you're going to get further, further away from France and England. And and France and England is built on big domestic play numbers. You know, they obviously have a great coaching setup and all that stuff, but the game is ingrained in in every town and village in France. Um, and this vibrant club game, um, and that's that's why they have so many players playing elite level. I know there's always a population issue for us, but you know, realistically, you look at the numbers. You know, we haven't capitalised on a successful Irish team. You know, um, back 15, 16 years ago, and um, now we're on the verge of potentially missing out on a World Cup. We're not getting to the Olympics in sevens, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, you know, we we are. It looks like we're going to struggle against England and France every year in the six nations for a while um and that's not a good image for for the for the young young girls who who are looking to play a game it's a great point about players existing ostensibly in a bubble birch and how you might not be aware or might not want to be aware as you say of the things going on beneath you or beneath your level of the sport but i guess murray <laughs> now's the time to look into it, it like because as we're saying if you don't have that conveyor belt of talent going through if you don't have the playing numbers you're caught between a rock and a hard place and will be probably perpetually. And I guess the only solution, if Ireland are going to catch up with, say, the two bigger teams in the Six Nations, if they are going to, say, challenge for future World Cups or even finish in a top six, potentially uh, just needing more players, need more talent. And Well, well just on that, I would, like the national team players are absolutely, completely aware of everything that's going on. And, and I would say there's some real anger amongst the players obviously about what happened as there is in the, the wider community and also we should like underline and stress there are some really brilliant people working in girls and women's rugby in ireland giving their time to try and grow the game the give it a try campaign has been a success and, and has brought lots of new girls to to rugby and and introduced them and given them an opportunity to play 
Um, and I think people who are involved in that side of the game would definitely disagree and, and say, listen, we're actually getting players into the game. We're promoting um, the sport and, and getting people to really embrace it. But it's not all joined up, is it? Like we've just spoken about how the clubs feel in terms of the AIL and and their, their part in that. Um, so, yeah, it can definitely be a more cohesive system. I suppose we had the example of Adam Griggs not being able to name who was really running the ship overall uh, very recently as well and, and that just paints that picture of disconnectedness um so there's, there's a whole lot in it another thing to highlight is like just in terms of the donnybrook um fiasco like for me it's kind of scandalous that these teams weren't deemed elite this is an irish government i suppose issue and covid regulations and i understand that that's really important but to me those were elite athletes they should have been able to use changing rooms um sport ireland's have kind of said that the use of change rooms was for for professional athletes but uh, we know that women's rugby in ireland isn't professional these are the the some of the best players in the country obviously without the ireland players on national tv playing a really high quality competition it's elite sport to everyone who watched it and um, so i think that was part of the issue as well it doesn't in any way excuse obviously what happened like it should have just taken a glance at that area of the of the facilities to say no this isn't going to do but it was just crazy to me that they weren't considered elite athletes there needs to be a bit more respect there i think for the level that that they're playing at and everyone who watched it on tg car it was brilliant coverage uh, and the rugby was excellent and it's just such a pity that we're not looking back at that we're just talking about another incident of disrespect really in women's rugby and, and that's a shame because every time you think there's a little step forward there there's something like this that pops up it's just too regular too frequent well looking forward then birch uh, like how do you create or how do you join up thinking because as murray rightly points out of course and I, maybe i sounded a little bit dismissive in what i was saying a minute ago but like of course there are like dozens hundreds of people across the country doing unbelievable work on ground floor for women's rugby girls rugby but how do you convert that into more national team players and and like in fairness this might be a an issue of time as well and having to actually wait until some of these girls grow up to become senior players but i guess how do you actually collaborate like how does it work as a system yeah and in what way is it not working now well i i think the competition i mean there's a um there seems to be a lack of appreciation of the of the domestic competition in terms of visibility in terms of Irish women's senior coaches going to AIL games um, to scout talent and and there's a perception that you know it doesn't matter what you do for your club it's what you do in 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 training camps or in in the seven so that's something that if that's your breeding ground for your players and obviously you know there's 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 a feeling that the players don't get sent back to play AIL very often so they get taken away from their club and that's a tricky one to manage um, I understand that but I think there needs to be visibility from the, the coaches involved with the national team um, at games first of all and I think we just need to get that AIL structure right so um, a lot of clubs have have started off now um, some have gone and, and tried to have an adult women's team and then a, a, and obviously mini rugby and then others are, are starting off with the under sixes and then bringing teams through and just, you know, every year having more more girls in the club and underage systems with the hope that when they get to adulthood, they'll become an, an adult team and obviously hopefully be good enough to play, uh, to bring that club to the AIL. Um, 
and so what they need to make make sure is that the that AIL is um is a very good competition in terms of um a, a relative evenness of standard so at the moment you know Blackrock Belvedere Railway and um and UL Bowes are probably the the four big teams and um you know if if what i hear is cr- true a lot of those games will be you know when they play other teams it could be 50 60 points you know what i mean so you got to try and narrow that gap to try and get enough talent into the other teams that it's a it's a a more competitive competition because having a one-sided competition where um you know the top are too are too strong won't do anything for uh for those players confidence levels in terms of growing uh, rugby in that area so it's a, it's a tricky one so I think they need to invest in, in, in coach development coach education um, but really in terms of each club um, what they're doing at underage level to increase uh, participation coach those girls properly to, to bring them through and then as I said then it's by that stage and this, is, this isn't a quick fix uh, because it hasn't started yet but You'd like to hope in three or four years' time that that AIL competition has very good refereeing, very good fixture scheduling. You know, at the right time on the right pitches, um, when people from the club can can support it, not clashing with with everything else or on a back pitch. Um, and they're the kind of things. It sounds like so so simple, uh, but they're the things that matter to people. Is is just good operational scheduling, fixturing coaching, refereeing, um, and dialogue. Uh, and, um, you know, if something's not working, you know, that they can address it and make it better. Uh, because for me, I, I, I just think the way forward is is the, the girls who are 12 and 13 now, um, that when they become adults, there's a better structure for them to, to go into. I think that's, that's where we're at, to be honest. Murray, I suppose it's the fact that it sounds simple or a lot of that potential solution sounds simple is kind of an indictment in a way because you ask yourself, why is none of this happening at the moment? As Bert says, it hasn't really started yet, a lot of it. Uh, do you feel as though this week will be a kind of a catalyst towards it actually beginning or more work being done? Because we've spoken in the past as well about how many people are actually employed by the IRFU to work on the women's game and some of them are doing a great job don't get me wrong but it's in case anybody's listening to us speaking about women's rugby for the first time or, or wouldn't generally tune into uh, coverage of women's rugby it's not the case that this is absolutely threadbare on the side of staff or anything like that um, it should be the case that the infrastructure is in place to actually bring the game to a healthier place but it just doesn't seem to be moving is this the week when it starts moving? Yeah, hopefully it's a week when things take a step forward and you can absolutely sense the RFU being awake to, to this issue and it's been a broader conversation. Like the sad reality, but the good reality and at the same time is that more people are talking about this than will have engaged with those interprovincial matches. Like that's just the reality of it. a scandalous issue. So people are, are kind of tuned into it. Yeah, there are people working in the Irish women's game, but another part of it is having women in governance positions. Like you look at the RFU's targets for for the national team, but they also have a target of having a 20% uh, female representation on on boards, in clubs, in all those decision-making roles. And in fairness, there have been recent steps towards that. You saw Fiona Steed and Yvonne Comer going on to the RFU committee. That's a really positive step. 
people who've been heavily involved in the women's game, who understand it at every level, who obviously understand how rugby works and can have a say and really push the important women's rugby agenda in, in a room full of men who obviously have their own backgrounds and, and many of them, I would say, or most are, are not in, in women's rugby or an understanding of it. So that's absolutely pivotal as well. You, you need female representation through all aspects of, of the RFU and that's been something they've been slow to do. They've set themselves that target. They'll say things have been delayed. They set up a women in leadership program and I think that started last year helping people to upskill themselves to be in those positions as well uh, and that's all positive but that needs to happen really steadily and, and improve over the next couple of seasons so that we end up with a, a much better representation at that level as well um, because they're the people who, who have sway and, and decide the, the direction of, of the union as a, as a whole and the sense within rom- women's rugby is that it has been an afterthought too often in, in, in the past over the last number of decades as I said we can go back a whole long way with incidents like this so absolutely hopefully this another high profile incident is a, a step along towards making it better obviously a, a horrible thing that as has been promised won't happen again but it really needs to be acted upon words mean so much less in in these instances you know the apology means so much less than what we saw in that video the hashtag nothing like it campaign means so much less than what we saw in that video so while all all those things have have good intention those campaigns and absolutely there's practical elements to that on the ground it's what you do rather than what you say and, and that's what we need to to see now yeah the hashtag turned out to be pretty accurate in a warped sense Back on the pitch, Birch, this weekend, Italy, they're going to smell blood. Obviously, Ireland beat them in the Six Nations and did pretty well against them. Um, how difficult will it be for, say, Kira Griffin, for Griggs to park the Spain result when you're preparing for a game of this magnitude now this weekend? Because on the one hand, you can kind of use it as naturally motivation in the sense that you underperformed. On the other hand, though, if, st- if things start to go wrong early in that game against Italy the way they did against Spain a few decisions even start going against you that can become almost a compound issue pretty quickly so uh, how separate is this Italy game to what just went before I think um, it'll be a real test of how deep um, and strong our self the, the, the player's self-belief is I mean you know the confidence will be will be battered by the Spain uh, result and performance. But if they really believe they're on the right track, if they really believe that um, they prepared well for for this competition, if they believe in the game plan, I think you know they'll be able to go out and, and bounce back. Because I don't think it was a case of not trying or or lack of um, enthusiasm. It was just literally everything that could go wrong, nearly everything that could go wrong went wrong um, on the day, and maybe they're just a, a little a match shy, but. If there's doubts around that, um, and you know the skill level, like I think the skill level is better than we saw against Spain. Um, it certainly was better at times in the Six Nations. So, um, you know, I would expect a, 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 a better performance because we played a game, and obviously, um, I think we're better than than we than we looked for sure. Um, on the other side of the coin. Italy are a very dangerous opposition. I know we we handled them um, well in the Six Nations, but when when you look back at that game, I mean, Italy Italy are very um, ambitious ball in hand, and they throw a lot of offloads in contact. And effectively against us, pretty much every one they threw 
um, you know, didn't go to hand and, and we had a lot of turnovers and, and costs. But against Scotland, those passes stuck and, you know, they they will get a lot of um, momentum from that. So it's it's polar opposites going into this. Obviously, it's a home game for the Italians. Um, you know, they probably went into this competition thinking we're playing for second and, you know, uh, qualification through the repertoire. Now they have a chance of, of, of knocking us effectively out of it. So um, I think it's a huge test. And I think the problem, again, I have, and I said at the start, was um, selection-wise, not having a, a recognised 10 who can who can manage the game um, and, you know, nurse the forwards into it. I think there's a doubt around our, our, our scrum. I, I can't understand how Chloe Pierce isn't over there. You know, she was man to match uh, for Munster um, last weekend. Uh, I know she's maybe not the finished article as a scrummager, but even as an impact player, as a back row off the bench, I mean, that's what we need. We need players who can give us that go forward. And if we have to be direct against, against Italy to get the win, well, that's what we have to do. You know, um, there's no harm in actually limiting a little bit our ambition uh, just to get the job done and have a World Cup. I mean, that's how that's how important it is. That kind of evolving game plan is important, you know, at certain times of the year as you develop. But now we've got ourselves in a situation where we're effectively 80 minutes away from being knocked out of a World Cup. So I think we have to, we have, to have a game plan that's um, very much tailored towards taking away the Italian strengths and, and playing into ours. So I look at I, I, we can definitely win for sure. I mean, Italy aren't the finished article. There's a massive gulf, but they are dangerous. They are dangerous and they will have their, their tails up. So um, I think it's going to be a real test of the leadership of, uh, of the senior players and, and the coaching staff to be able to, I suppose, get that self-belief back quickly. Yeah, it's a back to the wall job, Murray. And traditionally, I suppose that's when we're at our most dangerous excuse me going into cliche territory but maybe it's actually the easiest type of game to get up for and, and to mentally prepare for yeah I think retaining that belief is the key challenge this week obviously there's clear things they have to fix there but just having that sense like they'll be talking about this as an unbelievably close game it obviously was on this on the scoreboard and as I said if they'd got one of those chances before halftime just after halftime there was a try disallowed for Amy Lee Murphy Crow for a very small knock-on just at the base of the ruck in what was otherwise an excellent move from them. They've got to look at Baven Parsons' try, a brilliant bit of play that shows what they are capable of. That was one of their cleanest lineouts of the day. Maloney hits McDermott, kind of double tops, a really good lift. You've Dorothy Walsh shearing off the mall and, and linking to Senenupu midfield for that carry. And then a really nice pass from Stacey Vod, who I actually think has done really well at 10. I, I think there's major further potential there she passes really well she can kick well she's got a running threat herself um she throws that really nice cutout pass as Emer Constantine runs that excellent line on her left hand side and, and Parsons gets a one-on-one and, and we saw what she can do with a one-on-one she absolutely rinses the Spanish fullback um, and you even have Murphy Crow on the inside there offering support that was a really clinical accurate effective skillful couple of phases um, and shows what they can do. That's what they need to f- focus on bringing and believing that they can bring that s- style of play and just being much more clinical because they got so many opportunities. They put themselves into good positions with a bit of pressure on Spain and, and their kind of errors allowing them in. And they've had the, the wins over Italy the last couple of occasions. That is the, f- the fear, I suppose, is that the sense of stress that set in in the, in the final quarter against Spain carries over with a, maybe a shaky start or whatever that might be but yeah it's a challenge steady yourselves mentally and, and Ireland have enough quality they're absolutely more skillful they're absolutely better at line out breakdown 
their discipline can be much much improved so there's enough there to to win and, and, and get it back on track Birch, what are you not seeing in stacy flood that murray does see no, sorry, I, I um, it wasn't about her. I think she has the potential for sure, but my my problem is that we haven't settled on, on on her um enough over the last over the last year uh, year and a half. That's my sorry. That's my issue. I think she has the potential. I, I um, what I meant was um, we haven't probably given her enough game time or trust that she's become the complete ten yet. Um, and that's that's my worry. Uh, it, it's more about. Her being settled in that in that position, or if, if anything happened to her, that we had a, a ready made backup. So um, no, I, I do agree with Murray. I, I think she has potential. I think she will be if if we stick with it. Um, but you know, I would like to have seen you know a bit more um, consistency or or development of that, so that you know for, for a must win game, um, she ha- she probably was. Was was uh, more ready, more prepared. Yeah, it's, it's been... I think it's a big ask for it to go, if this game goes into the if, if this game goes into the the final ten minutes, um, you know, and you need that game management side of it. I, I just think that she probably hasn't had enough game as much game time as she uh, would have been preferable. Yeah, it has jumped all over the place in terms of the out half because obviously Hannah Tyrrell was there more recently. She's retired now, so close to a World Cup, which is interesting in itself. But obviously, a very talented sports person and, and back playing football. Um, and Flood hasn't had a lot of time in 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 the seat at, at ten, but it's a pity she had cramped the last day. They had to take her off early and and didn't get a chance to be in that stressful position. That's massive in terms of learning as an out half. But all the skills there. What about that fifty twenty two kick in the first half where she kind of banana kicked it into touch? Brilliant bit of skill. I thought some of the passing was was class as well. So yeah, there's there's much better there from Ireland. That's just one exa- example of. Of player who has loads of ability, mentioned Parsons and Murphy Crowe. Like get them on the ball. They're two of the most dangerous players in women's rugby. Honestly, they're so hard to put on the ground. So powerful, so elusive, um, and the pack they're capable of much, much better. So hopefully, let we we see that on Sunday. Will they get the job done, Bernard? Yeah, I think they will. I think Italy, um, Italy are prone to errors, and and uh, I just think Scotland, Scotland are so bad. Um, they were flattered by that. I think to be, they'll be Ireland are good enough to beat to beat Italy again and qualify. Murray, oh, yeah, I'm used to that prediction. It's going to be. I think Spain, Italy, and Ireland are really similar in terms of their their quality. Obviously, they're seven, eight, nine in the rankings as well. And in fairness, sorry, I'm, I know I'm digressing here, but we should give a, sh- a shout for Spain. How they're not in the Six Nations or make it a Seven Nations is baffling. Like they beat Italy at the last World Cup in 2017. They beat Scotland last just last year. They've beaten Ireland now. Get them involved. You want to grow the game. That's one way of doing it. Give them constant um, high-level competition. Ireland going to do it. Looking back at last night, I think that's absolutely a game they should have won against Spain. They were in the right positions. Their field was more than enough there to win the game. And if they got that score, they would have, would have driven on. So, yeah, I think Ireland to edge it. But I th- really do think it's going to be in the balance all the way to the end. One or two point margin. But we'll say Ireland. Thanks be to God you didn't send us home on a dour note. But that is all we've time for this week. Thanks a million to everybody at home for tuning in. Welcome back, in a way. Uh, members.the42.ie if you sign up there for a fiver a month or 42 euro for the year, you get access to all of our extra podcasts. And we do appreciate your support. We will be back this time next week looking ahead to the inaugural URC season. So until then, mind yourselves. Best of luck to Ireland over the weekend.
Take it easy. They swing in for the 11th and final fence, and now it's exit pole is gone on from Yaboya. Back in third is knock on steel at the last. Exit pole from Yaboya. Back in third, staying on is Funky Daddy. A faller at the last was Monstorm. It's exit pole from Yaboya. Racing well inside the final furlong. Exit pole holding Yaboya. Exit pole wins it for the Omega Racing Syndicate.